Morning. Morning. Happy day. <laughs> Happy Monday. If you're listening today, we have um, managed and very excited about this one because you know I love to chat about um, identity and feelings and emotions. <laughs> and you know I don't. I know. I know. I'm always dragging you into your deep emotion. I just feel like all these things are packed for a reason. And do we need to unpack them? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Well, I'm making you unpack them. Today, we were so excited. We got to speak with Dr. Emily Musgrove, who is a clinical psychologist and has a practice in WA. But also we found her because she is the returning psychologist on the Imperfects podcast. And uh, you relentlessly stalked her to get about her on. nine months. That's right. That's that. It's safe to say I don't. I don't take no for an answer. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why I'm here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> she is brilliant. She has such good guidance and advice. We talk about identity, and I think this is one where if we're chatting to any of our female friends, it's no matter what stage of your life, it's this constant reoccurring theme or conversation where women are just like, I don't know how to afford time to figure out who I am because I'm just giving absolutely everything to every role that I that I undertake, which is could be daughter, it could be friend, it could be work colleague, carer, carer, or it could be parent. And so we talk about how to find that sense of self, how to grow your identity. And I do think this is a topic that we will further delving into because there's just so many facets of it. And we've only just touched on a small part. But hopefully it will give you some strategies to start thinking about. I know I've, you know, walked away from this thinking about different ways that I can implement what Emily's yeah. suggested into my life. Yes. I mean, and, and that being said, like it can be a little overwhelming because once you sort of take that time to self-reflect, it can be also like, oh, my oh, goodness. It's, I know yeah. we both just sat there after chatting to her and we're like, whoa. Decompressing in the best yes. way possible. Yes. like not in know, a negative way, I yeah. think. It, it, ta- it makes you realise you need to take that um, that moment for yourself to pull yourself away from all the roles that you are to really look at what you want and what you need in your life um, to be able to grow and move forward and what trajectory you want to be on. Yeah, so agreed. She um, is fantastic, informative, helpful and super clever. And soothing voice. Yes. Have she just a- drew everything out of me. I was <laughs> like, God, you're amazing. <laughs> Welcome, Dr. Musgrove. Welcome. Welcome to Not Super Woman. On this week's episode, we are so excited. I think you can tell in our smiles how excited we are. Uh, We have Dr. Emily Musgrove, who is a practicing psychologist with a clinic based in WA. But we came across you particularly um, because you're the returning and recurring psychologist uh, on The Imperfects. And you very kindly <laughs> decided to trust us with um, coming on to our podcast. After you stalked her relentlessly for weeks, but <laughs> we're really thrilled that you accepted. We are. Thank you for not thinking that I was insane or creepy. We've got you on today because the topic that we were really wanting to talk to you about that we're finding is 
constantly coming up in women of our age and in the before and after bracket is identity. And Mm -hmm. this particular one, um, I think, hit home and peaked with me last year um, when I uh, had a, a, a moment of what am I doing with my life? And I booked into a surfing camp for seven days. I'd never, I don't even know how to surf and just disappeared. I do think it was an odd decision. <laughs> disappeared because I was finding myself looking around at all of a sudden where I'm at in my life and I was like, how did I get here? Like there's so many things going on in womanhood um, that I had got to a place of complete overwhelm and realised I'd sort of slowly over time eroded away at giving everything to everything else around me but losing my sense of self. So it seems to be a conversation that keeps reoccurring and um, something that we wanted to sort of unpack with you today. So very, very excited that you're on and talking with us. Oh, thank you. Honestly, thank you so much for having me. And I've, I've said this to you before, Beck. Um, you know, in some email correspondence is, you know, I'm so impressed with the work you're doing and I feel like this is a space that is so needed, you know, particularly for women at different points in their lives. So it's a real, um, it's a real privilege to work with you guys. Um, so thank you for having me. But also I think, Becky, your experience that you've described there, you know, you would absolutely not be alone in that. I think that, that you know, maybe particularly around our age group at the moment, you know, that this is a really common experience. Yeah. Um, so I think it's a great space to talk about that. Well, it's, it's funny because once I actually did it and then everyone like around me in my life was like, oh, where are you going? And I was like, uh, I'm going away surfing by my – and they're like, oh, with friends? I'm like, no, by myself. And they were like, do you know how to surf? And I was like – no, no, I don't. <laughs> and they were like, what's going on? I'm like, I'm I don't not think sure. it's about, you know, knowing how to necessarily have that skill to do it. It was just more about being alone and doing something for yourself. Yes, it, it, it was, I will acknowledge that I um, do see a counsellor regularly. And it was through those conversations with my counsellor reaching a point of realising that I didn't know where I was at anymore. I don't. I, I just feel like we power forward and we're, we try so hard to nurture and be present for every person in our lives, whether it be as a daughter, as a uh, partner or, or as a mum or as a work colleague, that, um, that all of a sudden I do find that so much is expected of us that you turn around and you can reach a point where you're sort of like, who am I? And mm. and I, it's funny because someone actually said to me once that um, like identity is not something that is, is a box that you tick. It's something that it, it evolves and it can keep evolving. And it made me feel a bit more at ease because I was like, okay. You've got time. I've got time. <laughs> I've got time. But how do you, what do you find in your experience? Do you regularly come across women that you meet in your line of work that are experiencing similar mm-hmm. things? Oh, absolutely. And, and like I said before, I think this is a, a really common experience. And I think it can show up at different ages, but there might be, um, you know, a, a more kind of blatant um, period of time in a woman's life, particularly around, um, you know, parenthood um, and, you know, also kind of coming out of your 20s. I think that that's not an uncommon time to, you know, really be reflecting on or actually potentially being really detached from that kind of sense of self. Um, So, yes, I see this all the time. um, And, 
you know, although it's not a clinical diagnosis, you know, kind of this detachment or loss of identity, um, the experience of detachment, um, the feeling of being lost or kind of unanchored is a really common presentation in lots of clinical um, presentations. Mm. Um, so, you know, I see that, you know, really quite often that there is this question of like, how have I got here? who am I now and how do I possibly get unstuck from this space that feels pretty aversive? Mm. Like because a lot of people identify who they are with what they do for work Mm -hmm. and I'm now realising and coming to understand that I guess it's not necessarily – the two kind of do go together but then they they should also be – separated i mean is mm-hmm. that is that a, sort of a healthy thing at, way to look at it yeah and uh, yes and it's actually it's quite a complex thing to unpack identity in some ways um and i think what you're saying there feels really important from a particular therapeutic approach that i use which i might come to in a minute but it might be useful even just to get a sense of what identity is like as a starting point mm-hmm. um and if we look at um you may be familiar with Um, Erickson's theory of development. It's like a very kind of um, foundational theory of psychology. um, And he proposed this particular theory where um, from birth, we undergo eight different stages of development. um, And at each stage, there's a particular conflict or crisis that we have to overcome to kind of move forward into the next stage of our life. Um, And the kind of quintessential um, formation of identity occurs around adolescence and so the conflict or the crisis that an adolescent encounters is is between identity formation and role confusion and so that's why you know like in adolescence there is this kind of really strong sense of um, confusion and you know kind of testing out and experimenting with different kind of interests or moral codes and values and things like that Um, So there's this big surging of questioning that occurs in adolescence and so often, you know, we we might develop kind of towards the latter part of adolescence this sense of like what what I am interested in, what my beliefs are, maybe what my values are. And then there's this kind of maybe common misperception that that's the end of identity. You know, once I've done that, like once I'm through adolescence, this is who I am and this is who I am forevermore. But, you know, really what we know is that although adolescence is this kind of surging and peak kind of experience of identity formation, that across our lifetime, really kind of any time we're encountering change or transition or conversely, when we've been in a position for a long time and there's a stuckness, this brings this um I guess, vulnerability towards identity crisis um, and identity confusion. Mm. Um, So I think it's really important that we know that it's not something that remains static and stable, you know, across the lifespan. It is very much something that is evolving. Um, And in some ways, if it's not evolving, that is kind of ringing some alarm bells for me also. So it's quite complicated, I guess, is what I'm what I'm saying there. Yeah, it's because I mean, I I know me personally. I, I don't want to be known as the same person I was 20 years ago to the same person. You know, in 20 years' time, I'd like to think that there. Well, you is grow and change, and I think that's a, an evolution. A good thing. I mean, I think the core of it from from 
I think what you touched on values and moral beliefs, mm-hmm. I think that to me sounds like that's what maybe is the core of your identity, but the growth, I guess, that goes with that over experiences and milestones and stuff, mm-hmm. the identity experience from women versus men as well is just seems like quite, quite... Well, I don't even think you could compare them, could no. you? Because well, I don't know, can you, Emily? Like, is it, it just seems to be mm. different. Or is it a human experience? I mean, it's definitely a human experience, but there is, you know, if we're talking about the the entry into motherhood, um, we we know from the research that there is both structural and functional changes in the brain that occur for women in the gestational period and then really for the next two years postpartum, there are these structural functional changes in the brain that occur for the care of the child or the infant. And so that is not happening um, necessarily. And there might be some differences, but not as certainly not as in a pronounced way um, for a partner perhaps. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, we can't necessarily compare, but we do know that the experience of motherhood um, neurobiologically changes um, our the way we're living and the way we're um, showing up in the world, I suppose. So what are some red flags that you would identify if you were working with someone and saying, okay, redirecting them to nurture that sense of self? Mm -hmm. The big red flags for me, you know, if I could like to give you a picture of this, is this sense that um, the demands of the situation are really outweighing the belief in my ability to cope with those demands. And so what often happens when there's that experience is we get emotional exhaustion. So... The emotional exhaustion then often leads to things like irritation, mm. lack of empathy, um, being like I could see. I'm, like, I'm laughing here because I'm like, I was a psycho yep. yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> that would be it. I'm irritated. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So there's, you know, and we're much more quick to anger and, you know, that kind of experience shows up. The other part of this is that we can notice we start to withdraw um, and move into what I would say is kind of this state of um, dissociation or avoidance. And that looks like something along the lines of, you know, you've been working all day or you've been with the kids all day and you get to kind of the end of the night or you get to the completion of those tasks, so putting the kids to bed or having cooked dinner, and then you finally stop and this kind of real moving away from this core sense of self and identity might look like you scrolling all night or watching TV all night Um, or basically what we're talking about is zoning out. That's what I've been doing literally most nights recently, Uh which is not great. Alarm bells are ringing. (laughs) Then I don't sleep. It impacts my sleep. Exactly. It's not a healthy way to not only spend your evening, but it's not a healthy well, entry into your sleep pattern because... And, like, disconnection from your partner as yes, well. Yes, mm-hmm. Or, you know, friends or any, anything. Like, mm-hmm. you yeah. just not yeah. be doing that. It's easy for me to say that, and I do it every day. <laughs> <laughs> but it represents, it really represents the, the overwhelm that is here and the state of discomfort that shows up at having, you know, potentially nurtured all of these other people or things. Um, and then there is this exhaustion that shows up. And so, of course, you know, that natural response is to move into lying down um but to but to move into um does something distract me from this reality that feels really hard Mm. 
That's exactly. You've just nailed this. Yeah, that's exactly where I get to. I'm like, I need to remove myself from the, just say I've cooked dinner and I am in the kitchen and I, all I want to do is, is put my AirPods in and zone everything else around me out because I'm just at this yeah, you just can't give peak. anymore. Yeah, where I've, I've like, for me, like I'm responsible for my um, grandma and her well-being. So I'm in the nursing home with her. Then I'm mm. dropping my kids to school and then I'm cooking dinner to feed people. And then I'm, you know, and then I'm just Working like, on a really I need successful silence. And it's funny we get to, <laughs> well, that, that too, that's, the, that's at 2am. That's not, <laughs> that's not um, unfortunately normal, during normal people's business hours. Business hours. <laughs> but, um, but I get to that place where I, I almost, um, it's almost, I don't know what You're the numb. word would be. Like it's, yeah, it's that disassociation. You actually just mm-hmm. need to just... I need silence and yeah, I, I, yeah. or I need to completely remove myself by almost physically being present but mentally... Not there. Not there. Mm-hmm. I know. And so healthy practices in altering that, like it is obviously things like putting your phone down. Yeah, look, it's probably... There's a, there's a really big piece to this and that is, I mean, yes, you can put your phone down, but... But I think the first is actually this awareness that, you know, where, like, where am I? Mm. Um, so, you know, when uh, particularly in terms of this kind of loss or kind of sense of, you know, I, I don't know who I am anymore, um, you know, really tells me a lot about this kind of disconnection from purpose and meaning and your values. Mm. So, you might be supporting some of your values, like maybe you value caring for, you know, the people in your life, but that's the only thing. Sometimes that feels like that is the only thing I do. Um, and then when like in the in the quiet of the evening, then these questions arise like, what am I doing? Like, where is me in all of this? Um, and so it feels so important to me that we can actually not only put the phone down, but like have some intentional inbuilt, even like five minutes a day where you're pausing and really checking in with with this part of you that's been here all day that you haven't noticed. Mm-hmm. Does that kind of make sense? Yes, it, it, it does. It's it finding it, that time and, and I guess Well, I feel like from for me it's been I again example it just as a live example of bailing and going away for seven <laughs> days was like an extreme version of that five minutes that you're talking about. Had mm. I accounted for that five minutes over regularly over a week-to-week basis or a day-to-day basis, I probably wouldn't have got to a place where I'm like, I actually need to completely remove myself, isolate myself and regroup, you know, rather because that's how far Mm. gone I felt, Mm -hmm. you know. But can you say, if you don't mind, can you share what the signs were for you that you needed to that you needed to do something differently? Yes, uh, it was um, that I knew that I had no extracurricular activity outside of, sadly enough, having drinks with girlfriends Mm. (laughs) that that I was passionate about. I just got to this place where I wasn't doing any form of anything regularly, exercise or wellbeing, and then I, look, speaking on behalf of being a parent, I've been a homemaker for seven years and I just got to a place of like, I've literally given everyone around me 
everything for the last seven years and I'm over it. <laughs> and I'm just going to go and do, My I don't even know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I, the, and you I loved like, it I'm just going to go. Which... I did, I did. And it really helped regroup me for the year ahead. But And it was also regularly counselling, realising I was also watching my partner sort of evolve. I, I think in his defence, I don't, I, I think, you know, again, tying identity back to being what you do for work yes, is a, yeah. a probably an unfair call. But he he was sort of um, growing and evolving and I felt quite stagnant and that, uh, that um, I wasn't having or affording myself the opportunity to go and figure out what I did like because mm. I was always just at home. And realising that I really wanted something for myself outside of um, social commitments and and drinking and as well. family life. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, gosh, well, everything that you've said there feels so important. And even just acknowledging in there, Beck, that there, you know, that I can see there was a lot of, um, you know, there was a lot of suffering in that, mm. you know, and that that must have taken a lot of courage to, you know, to do something differently, um, you know, or to call kind of time on how I'm doing this at the moment. Mm. I mean, life and commitments get in the way. What do you, when you find that, for example, you've got patients like myself, just say, <laughs> hypothetically. But, Us. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but coming in and, and like guiding, like guiding five minutes, we talked about, touched on it before, but like taking five minutes for yourself to restock. Mm-hmm. But then on, on, I guess, growing from that, what mm. would be your next advice? Yeah. So I think a big piece for me, like, you know, if, if someone's coming in to see me and they're, you know, expressing these, you know, kind of experiences um, is to really have a look at values um, because so often what happens is, and I kind of mentioned this before, so often we disconnect from from our values to focus exclusively or entirely on one particular thing. Um, but it's that kind of disconnection from values that really leads us down to a sense of um, purposelessness um, and a lost feeling um, or feeling really unanchored. And so my first point of call is like, let's really check in with um, what your values are, but then how are you actually acting in accordance with those values and, and one big piece here for me, you know, which often shows up is things like maybe when I was younger, I used to do lots of um, create like creative things and I haven't picked up a pencil for 10 years. Or it might be that I used to love playing a team sport, but I haven't played team sport for like 20 years. Um, and so there are these, yeah, yeah. And so like there are these parts of ourselves that have, um, or values that that still sit there, but we haven't acted on them for so long. And it's the action that actually really moves us towards this kind of meaningful, rich life and ties to so much into how I understand myself. Um, the values around being caring, for example, or being kind or being compassionate, they've been really well met by the role I have as a, as a daughter or a partner or a mum. Um, or as a work colleague, but maybe there are other parts that have been really lost here. Mm. I, it's funny because it was actually um, someone said to me once, you can have values and you can say them, but unless you're actually acting them out and, you know, attri- physically sort of attributing yep. them to your the way you live your life, then are they really your values? Like A value is like heading west. You never actually reach west. You can never tick it off. Um 
but we can kind of move in that direction by literally moving our feet towards actions that support that value. But a really like an example of this would be something like you might actually hold high value in self-care, but do you act on it? Like, you know, how are you showing up to that value? And that means that it's like you're heading east rather than west. Mm. The values are still there, but the behavior is inconsistent with it. Mm. So Googling a list and then, you know, in a, in a sp- I guess in its most simple form, going through and trying to identify what connects to you in that list mm-hmm. and then trying yeah. to implement them in a way that is, I guess, functional within your day-to-day routine because it really probably goes – it really does need to be a part of the day-to-dayness, not the yeah, yeah the bigger, bigger picture. It doesn't yeah, mean wholesale changes, does it, or does it? No, and, and I think – I mean, maybe it does for some people, maybe it really does. Like, let's have a look at, you know, how this is working for me in its entirety. And maybe there are big changes that need to occur. And maybe that's, you know, also a conversation you really need to be involving with, you know, like the people that are in your lives. So, you know, whether that's a partner or, you know, parents or, you know, adolescent children even, you know, like really having some opportunity to sit down and talk about, you know, how this is working for me at the moment. I think that's like a really important part. Um, But, you know, on the other side of things, it can literally be how do you carve out five minutes, literally five minutes a day that is entirely and only for you Mm. as this like cornerstone of coming back to um, who I am today and the, I'm just going to kind of mention is the way that I would often work around this comes back to kind of acceptance and commitment therapy and this idea that so often we get fused with um, roles. So I am a mother, I am a worker, I am a doctor, um, I am a carer. And so when we hold really tightly those roles as my identity, that then leads us to, you know, a a lot of problems, to be honest. We joke all the time and it's on the podcast page, but I'm always late. And so like Mm -hmm. that concept of like labeling myself as something, um, then can perpetuate, um, yeah. A narrative is that what is that what you yeah. mean yeah. with the labeling yeah, of a title? Yeah, absolutely, And it's um you know sometimes those narratives at some point in time have been really useful for us, um, but also they end up being really self limiting. Mm. So when we you know for example even the idea of holding this identity as I am a strong person, you know so even kind of positive self statements or positive identities, um, they may appear to be healthy. But if I hold really tightly this idea that as part of my identity, I'm a strong person, what does that mean then for when you really need help? Mm. You know, how does that like prevent us from actually asking for help? Because if I'm a strong person, I don't ask for help. So I guess what I'm saying there is that, you know, if we can bring some more awareness to all of these um, roles that that we identify with, if we can hold them a little bit more lightly. So it's literally like not all my eggs are in one basket because, you know, at the end of the day, it can come back to like, if I'm not good at this, then who am I? Or if I'm not good at this, what else have I got in my life? With that, do you you then like, because where's, I guess, the line with trying to know who you are 
and trying to grow who you are. Mm-hmm. How do they how do they marry together in mm. in you know holding I guess a label but then not not holding it to account so much that then you are stuck to it. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't mean for this to sound really woo-woo. Um, no, no, so no. please like definitely cut it out if it doesn't fit. <laughs> but um, but there's the the way that I would often work is with this idea about the observing self. Yep. Um, and so if you imagine that the observing self is this part of you that can notice all of these labels. It's the part of you that can notice that you're breathing. Um, it's this part of you that is kind of stepped back from all of those roles. And that observing self is constant. So that is the self that you've known actually all your life. Mm. Um, It's a little bit like, and this metaphor is very commonly used, but it's a little bit like your observing self is the sky, is the blue sky. And all of the other stuff that comes like the, you know, the difficulties that we encounter, the pleasant experiences are like, is like the weather that comes across the sky. So sometimes it will be really stormy weather, but if we can pause and take a breath, we can actually come back up to this sky is still here. And so that sense of self is always there if we have this capacity to slow down and to notice my experience. Mm. So if I can notice my experience, I am not my experience. Yes, I know what you mean. How important is it to try and draw back what you do for a living to then understand who you are underneath those things? I think it's so important. Yeah. And even just, to, and I don't mean to use your husband as an example, but <laughs> you know, what happens if you can't build anymore? Yeah. So, you know, what happens if, I don't know, like an accident occurs and you can no longer do this, then what happens to your, first of all, to your well-being? I mean, that's obvious, but, you know, if I, if if some, if all my eggs are in this basket, that can lead us to some really catastrophic outcomes. Yeah. Um, and so we can hold lots of value and meaning and purpose in doing that particular job, but it doesn't define my worth. Um, so, you know, what so often happens is that my identity is fused with um, a role or a career and my career defines my self-worth. So it's all wrapped up in the same thing. And I think that can be really, really problematic. The, the research indicates that the more roles we occupy, the greater the well-being. And the reason for that is that we can derive so much more purpose and meaning when we have more opportunities in different places. Um, so if we only have one area that is purposeful or meaningful, it, it kind of denies us opportunity to know other parts of ourselves as well. That's positive for me, working five jobs at the moment. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Things are looking up. I'm really, you know, yeah, getting fulfilled. But it might, like, and I, I think we obviously. <laughs> I may have a mental breakdown, but it's going to be great. <laughs> so we need to tread a careful line in terms of stress and burnout there too. Yes. But, I mean, roles can mean things like I'm, like, for example, like a role could be, you're in a book club that happens once a month um, or you're on the PNC um, or, you know, like you, your role could be that you go to Pilates, you know, that there are these, all these different parts of you. Um, but if we only focus on one thing, then that, you know, absolutely can, can lead us down a more vulnerable path. But do you feel like these reflections 
uh, an age thing? Do they come? Because I, I know I certainly wasn't reflecting like I am now. 10 years ago mm. is it is it sort of you know your typical midlife crisis or is it something that I think yeah you have that at it's, 38 well early I but know. I don't know you have these crises at every kind of five years five years <laughs> <laughs> well you change so much like you look at us from school yes to you know now. to transitioning through to yeah. you know I guess all different careers, children, relationships, friendships. Yeah, mm-hmm. you evolve, you change, you. And but there is the the, the iconic coin term mm-hmm. of the midlife crisis. Is that like happening know, now? Yeah. Look, I think yeah, absolutely. This kind of reflection and questioning, and um, maybe crisis can occur potentially at any age. Um, but yeah, there may be something really pivotal about this particular age, and it may be the again like this um, shift from this shift from kind of like almost like this ego state of um, you know when you are younger, where you're only really concerned about caring for yourself in some ways, and then as we age, we then have more responsibility and also more exposure to kind of existential issues, like you know we're we might get exposed to more health issues that bring into question, you know, how I'm living my life. And and so it's not uncommon that those sorts of experiences really shift us into this, you know, really big questioning about who I am. Mm. Um, and also, like, let's be honest, like the demands of life, you know, get bigger in some ways, you know, the older we get. And so I think that's very normal that that could create a lot of um, discomfort and a lot of, you know, for some people, some suffering too. Mm. It is because life, it just gets, it's It's funny. It, I was always, as a kid, I was like, oh, I can't wait to be an adult. And then it just, the responsibility grows to such mm. an enormity that it's, all, it's almost suffocating at times. Mm. I just want to mm. move back to mum and dad's <laughs> and just be in my old I'm room. I'm not sure that would. Meals on the table. <laughs> Everything's ironed. <laughs> I don't think that that would really help with navigating your identity. No, like I'm regression. <laughs> but... And so what are simple um, and effective ways if you're listening to something like this and you're, something's triggering and mm-hmm. you're clicking and you're like, I, I really need to do some work. What are some simple effective ways that you could also communicate what's happening with your loved ones around you or do you need to or is it mm-hmm. something you just keep for yourself? I would, I would imagine I would, it feels important to me that, that this is shared um, in terms of what we know about, you know, particularly in terms of um, identity formation um, and this kind of evolving sense of identity is that it's really supported when we have social connection. Um, so, you know, and the research definitely attests to this, that um, identity change is best facilitated and almost integrated when we have a strong social connection. Um, so that feels like a really important part. Um Sometimes it can be even useful things like journaling can be start like a starting of the process. So you start to get a sense of language around what it is that you're experiencing. Um, and it, it may be then that you want to choose one person that you feel kind of a sense of safety with. And that may not actually be the closest person to you. It may not be your partner. It may not be a parent. It may be, and sometimes can even be someone, you know, that you 
that you don't have as much personal involvement with, like a work colleague perhaps. Um, But really having to think about who is it that genuinely feels safest to talk to and just to start this conversation um, and express, you know, I've been having a bit of a tough time. You know, I'd love your ear for a moment if if you've got some time. But if it is someone that you, you know, like if it is a partner or a friend, sometimes I find it useful just to let them know up front, you know, there's something I want to talk to you about and, you know, I don't actually need solutions. I just need you to listen, you know, is that something that we can do? Because that's the thing, isn't it? A lot of the time when you, yeah, well, when you speak to someone though, I know um, that sometimes the immediate reaction is from the person listening like, oh, okay, I've got to give them an answer. And I've got to give them fix their problem. Fix this, um, but sometimes it's actually just the transaction of communicating it and getting it off your chest and saying it out aloud mm. is as helpful as it is, <laughs> you know, for someone to actually give an answer. And sometimes you don't want an answer. I don't know. Sometimes but I, I find I like what helps me is I catch up with a friend. It changes who I catch up with, mm. but we walk every day for an hour, and that's what I need to do for myself amazing pretty yeah. much every day and we just talk about mm-hmm. anything everything sometimes there's five of us sometimes there's one of us sometimes I'm alone but if I don't have that every day yeah you're very I good. go insane Zoe's very good at consistency and I'm the one that's completely <laughs> no, no, again different personalities and, yeah. I, yeah. and I've always done it because it's the only thing that gives me clarity each day yes mm. yeah and makes me a Kind of person. Yes. <laughs> More compassionate person. Even though you're, you're I haven't walked yesterday. Today. I haven't walked today. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You can tell. <laughs> Actually interesting, and I'm sure, you know, you, you've probably heard all of this before, is that, you know, what are we modelling to our children around self-care? And also, this is a kind of a strange part of it, but um, do we need to show up to every single event every single moment in our lives with such presence um, to our children? Or is it sometimes actually helpful to allow, you know, not really frequent all the time experiences of this, but to expose them to feeling disappointed that mum can't be there today? You know, like how does, you know, how can the children kind of manage this experience of disappointment rather than this knowledge that mum is always here? Mum is here for every single thing. And and what is the value then in that? Well, I can't often be there. Yeah. I try to be there, but I, I can't. And I say, I'm really mm-hmm. sorry. I'm actually at work today. Blah, blah mm-hmm. is coming. Or, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing all the photos and you telling me about it. Mm. You can't, I, I, I can't know. Whereas I put there. the pressure on myself because I'm like, well, no, this is my job, and so mm. I'm meant to be there. And so I, and the speaking of the modelling, I, I was like, it was the realization again. Obviously, you know, I had an early midlife crisis, but the the kids were like, oh, just never saw me leave, never saw me do anything, never saw me go anywhere, and so I wanted them to see me go surfing because I just was like. Mm. I am an individual. I'm not just your mum. Yeah, I'm not just at home. I actually I'm not do just other things yeah. with my yeah. life. And I think it's so now in hindsight, and especially it's taken me seven years to get here, but, like, it's so important because the, what, what, I, what we example to them is what they're going to carry forward. 
Yeah, I mean, you may have heard Lael Stone, um, who's on The Imperfects, talk about this also, you know, kind of actually even taking a moment to think about what was modelled to you mm-hmm. also, you know, around, you know, opportunities for yourself. You know, how did you see your mum or your dad, you know, showing up for self-care and how was that prioritised or um, valued in your house? Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, that's an, another important piece too is, you know, really thinking about, um, you know, absolutely, the mo- this modelling that I'm providing for my children. But fundamentally, at the bottom of everything is that you can't care for someone from the place of an empty cup. No. Like it's as as cliched as that sounds. No, we are much better at parenting at our work when we come from this place of feeling really resourced. Mm. Thank you so much for today. You have been so That's insightful and oh, listened to so also. Much. Particularly me, Babylon. I feel no, like I feel like actually a lot of relief from chatting to you, Emily. Oh, that's I nice feel like last say. week I've just been so overwhelmed. Um, yeah, just spread thin and then being mm-hmm. antsy, angry, scrolling at night, not sleeping, vicious cycle mm-hmm. all week. Mm. And I feel like I need to go home and maybe apologize <laughs> 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 or just explain how I've been feeling. Yeah. Or maybe even apologize to yourself, you know, like the even like hearing yes. the guilt that shows up there too, you know, yeah, and the yeah. guilt the guilt is something that is a whole again, like this whole other episode too. That's a um guilt. <laughs> 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 How many hours have you got? Yeah, like, uh, <laughs> um, but I do just want to add just, you know, just at the end, and I think, Beck, you kind of mentioned this before about, you know, where can you go yeah. um, if you need, you know, if you need support. And obviously there's the very clear example of, you know, going to see a psychologist, but, um, you know, that is certainly a privilege, you know, to get access to that. So, you know, there are lots of resources online and even just beginning by, um you know, kind of even Googling like online support groups, for example, and there are heaps available that are free. Um, you just need to, you know, actually be directional about it um, and have some space to actually sit down and go, okay, there are these resources available. I just need to find them. Mm. I am, um, but I, we will compile because I know that you've referenced as well um, a few of whether you call it mentors or um, Mm -hmm. that I'll compile a lot of that onto the Mm -hmm. website as well. But Yeah, great. Thank you so much for your time. That's a pleasure. For highlighting and just reminding us and and anyone who's listening takes it an opportunity to reset with us and um, check in with yourself. Check in, check in. Thank you. I need to go for a walk. You've been amazing. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of Not Super Woman. You can find extra resources, links and information on our website, which is notsuper-woman.com. Is that a dash or a hyphen? A dash is a hyphen, rash. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> um, and if you're enjoying what we're bringing, you can follow us on our socials and we're across all podcast platforms. So hit subscribe, guys.